The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China from time to time and and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunang province and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in and when you teach in China, you start at eight in the morning and you don't get done till five at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway. And as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. I said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. 
You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. So two questions that I believe, hopefully, came to the surface after seeing a video like that is first, how, how do people get like that? And by people, I mean, how is it that such persecution of throwing people in jail for this belief they have in this man named Jesus, and how does such intense persecution come about among people? The second question is, how do people stand strong in that? Uh, what makes it such that a group of believers would ride a train for 13 hours to partake of some training over the course of three days sitting on a hardwood floor with no air conditioning with the very real and viable threat that they could go to prison for three years over something as simple as a weekend training like that. So those are the two questions that hopefully we'll be answering today with God's Word. And you can be turning now, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. We've been in the book of Acts going through numerous pieces, but overall seeing the model that God gives us out of His Word for the early church in ways of preaching and ways of being and the things that they were convinced of. And today we will be hopefully seeing a better understanding of persecution to answer those two questions. How does it get going? How does it start? And what causes a group of people, what causes a person to stand strong in the midst of those things? Uh, so if you would, join me in prayer. Father, I pray that you would quiet our hearts as we open your word, as we seek to be fed now of your word, Father. Would you quiet our hearts and remind us that tomorrow we'll worry about their own troubles and that today we'll have its own set of troubles that can worry about itself your mercies are new this morning, Lord. We want to take hold of those. We want to experience the peace that you give, the peace that surpasses all understanding, Lord. Father, that is what we are seeking from you and you alone. Father, we love you for it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and, and shine a light on your word that you've given us so that we can see it, we can understand it, we can digest it, and grow from it, and be nourished by it. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that all the church says, Amen. It was in 1857 when there was an archaeological dig being done in Rome over a place where they knew there was a school. Many years ago there used to be this school, just shortly after the time of Jesus. As they're doing this archaeological dig, they, they come across this wall, and they pull out pieces of this wall, and they find some graffiti on this wall. 
Uh, much like if you go into a truck stop and you go into a bathroom and you see all those wonderfully kind things written on the wall, and it was a similar type of piece of graffiti it had been etched into this wall. And the thing that had been etched into this wall was a depiction of a cross and a man being crucified on that cross. It depicted the man having the head of a donkey, and it showed a person, seemingly a smaller statured person, standing in front of the cross with their hands raised as if they were worshiping this person that was being crucified that they depicted in this graffiti as having the head of a donkey. And they actually had some text alongside it. The text said, Aleximenos worships his God. So we really don't know all the things that happened, particularly in this story, but we know a few things We know that during that period of time in which that piece of graffiti that is now known as Aleximenos Graffito, which is simply singular for graffiti, we know of that time that Christians were persecuted during that time. Apparently, it seems as though that there was a person named Aleximenos who would have been probably a young person in this particular school. And they were ridiculed for their belief in Christ Christ himself was even mocked in this piece of graffiti that likely these schoolboys were etching into this wall. And again, the two questions are raised. What, how does that come about? That schoolboys, even all those years ago, could etch something like that and, and put a donkey's head on the head of Christ of being crucified and and singling out somebody by name in this school. How, how does that kind of thing happen? And, and secondly, the second question that arises is, what would cause this Aleximenos boy to continue on through this and to be able to stand strong in it? It was in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, if you know your history really well, you'll know of something called the Chinese Boxer Rebellion. Uh, during that day and age in China, Christianity was gaining in popularity, much as in the same way it is right now. And they were building missions compounds and buildings and places where missionaries would go and where they would feed people and teach people the Bible. And there were lots of these kinds of missions compounds being built all over the place in China during that day. But there was this group of people who were, at the very heart, they were idolatrous worshipers of false gods but they were a group of people that also identified themselves as being this people that practiced a particular kind of martial arts. Now, I have extensive training in martial arts, but it was completely separated from all forms of any kind of worship of anything. It was simply a way to exercise and a way to, for people to fight, essentially. It's the way that many Eastern places even will still teach their people how to, how to train in the military. We have basic training that you might know of for our military and other places. They have martial arts that basically serve like their basic training. And that's what I've been exposed to. But, but this particular group of people during this boxer rebellion, they were, again, they were idolatrous. They worshiped false gods and they combined that with this practice of martial arts, which we would call Chinese kickboxing or Chinese boxing, and that's how it came about, this boxer rebellion. They hated Christians, and they would go around to these particular missions compounds, and they would overtake them. They would lock them up. They would ridicule. They would harass. They, would pers- they were 
would persecute the people, the Christians, inside of them. And of this particular rebellion, as the story goes, is that there was this particular mission compound that was very, very large. And it had multiple entrances to it. And they blocked all of them with the exclusion of one. And in the very front of the one exit that they left open, they put a cross on the ground. And these people behind this Chinese boxer rebellion, they, they told the people inside that if you would leave the missions compound and you walk on top of the cross, which was simply a way to, to be completely belittling of the cross and what Christ had done, they said, if you walk on top of the cross, we'll let you live. But if you leave the missions compound and you don't walk on the cross, it will mean your certain death. Inside this particular missions compound, there were a number of teenagers that were there. And the, the missionaries that were working there, they had been teaching them the Bible and bringing them meals and all these things, doing all the things that happen commonly in these missions compounds. And the first seven individuals that heard this, they got scared and they ran out walking on top of the cross to get out of this missions compound. And then there was one particular girl who walked out, knelt by the cross and prayed, and then stood up and walked carefully and respectfully around the cross to her certain death. Uh, the following almost hundred young people followed the same suit of praying before they walked out and then walking out to face their certain death, which they did die because of their faith. So it raises again the two questions, what would cause these people, this people practicing this thing called Chinese boxing, then would bring about this thing called the box, Chinese boxer rebellion, and what would cause them to become like that? And secondly, what would cause for there to be this one girl that then led all the others to stand strong even in the face of that awful, awful persecution? So in this sermon titled Understanding Persecution, in Acts chapter 4, hopefully we'll be able to see the answers to those questions. We know of the book of Acts that we've been in thus far, that the Holy Spirit is now inside believers They've been launched in this great ministry that God has given them. And Peter is now preaching with this preaching ministry that is bold and powerful. And it's working. Every time he preaches, it seems as though thousands of people, the Bible says, come to know the Lord under this great, awesome kind of preaching. And we know the story that we have led up with this. Peter and John have gone up to the temple to pray. They see the individual there who's asking for alms. There's the famous line that Peter says of silver and gold, I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The man is healed. He goes into the temple with them. As you might imagine, this draws a great, very, very large crowd. And then Peter preaches to all the people that have gathered around to see this thing that God has done. And we know that it was numerous people. And now you can look, if you would, in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, where we see the result of some of this preaching that Peter has done there on the porch of the temple. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple and of the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men, everyone say men, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So what we understand happening here is Peter's preaching, and it's not just some small crowd that's gathered together. The people that were there were probably well more than 5,000. We know that it was 5,000 men who came to believe. It doesn't even include the number of their wives and their children. So we know that, that conservatively, we're in the ballpark of probably 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people that have come to believe based on just as what has happened from Peter preaching in this kind of way of putting this great need to show people their great lack of holiness before God and then to show them that Christ is the way, that he is the one you must repent to. He is the one you must turn to and have his righteousness covering you. Now, this obviously ruffled the feathers, and that's putting it very lightly, of the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. So you might say, well, who are these groups of people? The priests were people that were in charge of the temple to do the customs that were common in that day. They were like the Old Testament pastors, you might say. Then there was this captain of the temple, because we know that all three of these groups were the ones that arrested Peter and John. So you have then this captain of the temple. Now the captain of the temple was more like what you might think of like a police officer or a guard. They were there for the purpose of keeping the rule, making sure that nobody broke the law in that area. The captain of the guard is who they were. Then you have the Sadducees. And you say, well, who are the Sadducees? The Sadducees were, t- were like the priests, but only in the way it is that they were seen as a little bit more important. They came from a particular lineage. They had the right background. They had the right DNA. They had the right blood going through their veins that allowed them to be seen as a Sadducee. They were seen as teachers of the law. They were seen as very politically influential They were seen as incredibly, incredibly important. You talked to a Sadducee in only particular ways. You didn't disrespect them. They were seen as the grand poobahs of that day. But the one thing that is similar among all three of these groups, although their roles were different, the one thing that you do see common throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament of being similar among these groups is that they were very much in cahoots with the government of that day, that being the leadership of Rome, who we know was the tyrannical government over in that day, in that period of time. And they were very much the teacher's pets, you might say, of the Roman government. Rome was very smart in the way that they knew that if they they wanted control, they wanted this order, but if they could be buddies with the leaders of these different areas, different peoples, and different regions. It, would, it was part and reason as to why they were so incredibly successful of having such a widespread reign of power, the whole Roman government, the whole Roman empire, is at least in part of how they got into these different areas and took control because they had these certain teacher's pets. Priests, captain of the temple, and Sadducees were a few to name, were just a couple to name a few. And it was very much the case that Whatever it was that the Roman government gave or put in front of the priest, the captain of the temple, it was almost as if those groups of people were like 
puppets on strings for the Roman Empire. Whatever it was that Rome told them to say, to preach, to do, to be like, they would do. They would do those things. They would carry whatever it was that Rome told them to do. You might say that they worshiped Rome before they worshiped the one true living God. In today's language, we would say that they were woke. Hopefully that helps everybody understand the kinds of people that these were. So our first point this morning that we see of where persecution originates to understand this persecution, number one is that persecution originates from the pseudo-religious. Persecution originates from the pseudo-religious. Now, if you don't know what that word pseudo means, it simply means fake or not real. It means false. These, this type of persecution from Peter and John who are preaching and doing all these kinds of things, they're suffering this persecution from the pseudo-religious, from the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees who don't truly worship the true God, but they are in the place as being such. They're in the place of being these people respected in this kind of way to be the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. But it's false, it's fake, and they are the ones who predominantly are bringing about this persecution to God's true children. And we see this being the case in the example of the video that we just watched of the church in China. There is today, as it was back then, and as has been for a long time, this sense in China that you must worship the state first. And if you worship the state first, then everybody's happy with you, everything is good. But it's the people who worship the state first and foremost are the ones that are bringing about this persecution to believers, to the Christians. We imagine it was probably the same thing during that time frame in which this Alexamenos character came about with the graffiti that was etched on the wall of that school. Uh, we know for certain in that day and age, much as, as it was for Peter and John, that people worshipped the emperor. They worshipped the Roman emperor. And we know that when there was this worship of the emperor, that it was the people that worshipped the emperor most who were the champions of persecuting the believers. So I hope you see where it's come from. In the case of the Chinese Boxer Rebellion, this group of people worshipped false gods. They worshipped false deities. They were the pseudo-religious. They were the seen as religious people, but we know for, that it was false. We know it is obviously not true. And they were the ones that brought about the persecution of true believers. You can see this playing out in many, numerous other types of examples in Scripture. You think of Judas and the way that he had this worship of money. Obviously, he sold Christ for just a few pieces of silver. He was there, he was seen as this religious person, but it wasn't real. It was fake, it was pseudo, you might say. And as such, he was the one that even himself brought about this, this persecution of the Son of God himself. So what is the application here for all of us to understand and to be able to really take away and know what it is that you and I are supposed to do? We're simply to be very aware, very discerning, of these kinds of people that claim to be religious, but we know based on the Word of God that the model it gives us, and as we've seen not just in Scripture, but as we've seen Scripture tell the story of history, that it will be those people whom will bring about persecution of believers. 
This is the way that Jesus said it in Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So beware, children of God, of the Joel Osteens and the Andy Stanleys. I believe that in our lifetime, we will see when things like preaching the gospel, things like believing in the biblical traditional view of marriage and sexuality, when those things become outlawed, I believe very likely you and I will see in our lifetime those types of religious leaders, those types of false religious leaders, we will see them being the ones that will be persecuting Christians for the things that they are believing in. Be very careful. Use discernment, dear friends and family, this morning of woke family members amongst your family that have this false religiosity. They worship another. Their worship is to another. We've seen the pattern in the Word of God that those people are usually the folks that persecution originates from. I don't know about you, but I still think Joel Osteen would make a great weatherman. Don't you think he just, I mean, he would just, it'd be great to hear the weather from him every day. Like, thunderstorming and tornadoes coming, but that's all right. You know, just, he would just, it'd be great if he is, and everybody would expect that he's lying if he was a weatherman. It's, so it's beside the point. Verse 5, as we continue on in the Word of God this morning. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many of were the family of high priests, were gathered together at Jerusalem. So just as a side note there, you see once again this group of Sadducees very much having to do with one's lineage. Verse 7, And when they had set them, Peter and John, in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So before we go on to verse 13, let me simply mention here that now for a third time we see Peter preaching in this particular kind of way. First at Pentecost, then preaching on the porch, and now giving his defense the next day to the rulers He preaches in this kind of way of outlining people's great wickedness in the absence of Christ. 
outlining people's great guilt of sin that they have, outlining people's great need for something more than the righteousness that is within them. He outlines that, and then he shows the perfectness in Christ, the power that's in Christ, the ability that only Christ has that people need. That is now the third time that we have seen Peter preaching in this kind of way. Let it be true for you and I when we gather together. Let it be true for you and I when we preach to our family and friends the truth and communicate the truth of the gospel. So verse 13 as we continue on. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside outside the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle had been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, and from now on they speak to no man in this name." Two key elements out of this text that we've just read that I think are vitally important for us to see. The first of which being this mention of uneducated and untrained men. Peter and John were fishermen. They were known as the blue-collar workers, which in today's world, blue-collar worker probably means you're richer than everybody else today. But but back then it was seen as a low-class low occupation it was seen as a not high thing that they had done this is what the uneducated people did and they were not talking to the sadducees in the way that the sadducees were used to people talking to them they have this amazing defense of the gospel this very clear outline of communication of who jesus is what he has done and why it is that people need him And the Sadducees are not used to this kind of thing. They are used to people referencing them and and revering them as these high political stature people that that must be spoken to in a certain kind of way. And, And God is not a respecter of persons and neither were Peter and John on that day. 1 Corinthians 1.27 it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are Mighty. They were uneducated and untrained men. And the reason for all of this, the reason for all of this stirring, the reason that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the captain of the temple and all these people that were seeing that something was so incredibly different about these two men, these uneducated, these untrained men, the thing that they saw, the thing that they noticed was very different, the thing that caused all of it was that they had been with Jesus they had simply been with Jesus and that means something very significant for our church because it is not about this hierarchy of who's got the most influence and who's got the most education those things didn't mean anything in this situation it was actually the fact that they were untrained that people even more so noticed they had been with jesus god had given them this boldness this spirit of correctness and preaching that they could not even deny 
And boy, is that good news for you and me today, that it is not about some kind of game that the world would be playing of who's most important, who's most influential. Man, and and, and don't get me wrong, church, I do believe that it is vitally important that we study to show ourselves approved. That is absolutely certain. But boy, there is just so much that takes place when we have just been with Jesus. There is so much life transformation when we have simply spent time with Jesus. So much so even that people will even notice that something has been different. Something is different about these people simply because they had been with Jesus. I wonder how much stock we've put in just time of being with Jesus. I wonder how much we have, we have relied on human intellect and our own influence and our own ability to be liked when really we need to, we need, we need to study. Don't get me wrong and hear me clearly. We absolutely need to be students of God's Word. There's no question about that. But I believe also upon the authority of God's Word that we need to be spending time with our Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. So our second point this morning, as we shift gears slightly, moving on to a different element of this text, second point this morning is that truth doesn't matter to the pseudo-religious. Truth does not matter to people like the Sadducees, like the captain of the temple, like the priests. They worshipped another. Their version of truth was so skewed based on what simply the Roman Empire told them to do, believe, say, etc., etc., and it didn't matter the fact. They even outlined. It, they, they even said there's nothing we can do to refute the fact that this man who was born a paralytic is now standing. He's walking. And it was through these people named Peter and John who had spent time with this man named Jesus. They knew that. When they conferred among themselves, that much was absolutely clear. It was a fact that he was walking. It was a fact, and it is a fact, that Jesus is powerful over those things. Somebody say amen. It's, it's a fact that that man went walking and leaping, praising God as he went into the temple. It was a fact that thousands of people saw it and gave God the glory for it. But it didn't matter to them. The facts did not matter. And we see the same being true in all the other examples we've looked at. In the video we watched in the Boxer Rebellion in China in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the fact was that all the way back then and even now is that Christianity was creating and, and is creating a very peaceful people for China. But the facts don't matter. The, 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 the fact is that it was, it was making a peaceful, loving, quiet people. But to the pseudo-religious, to those who worship the state of China first, the facts don't matter. In the time of the Aleximenos character that we mentioned with that graffiti that had been etched on the wall, we know during that period of time that Christians were blamed for not paying their taxes. And the reason that it started was if you remember when the people came to Jesus and the Pharisees said, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And you all know what Jesus says. Our Lord said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, render to God the things that are God's. Now, that what Jesus said got skewed around and it got twisted and people said, the leader of Christianity, Jesus himself, said that you shouldn't pay taxes. So there was this great big rumor that came about saying that Christians didn't pay their taxes. And very much perhaps the boys that were making fun of this Aleximenos character for worshiping Jesus, it was probably common knowledge among the culture that Christians were the ones that didn't pay their taxes. But the facts 
And the people in higher up government in that day and age knew this. And even now, there are archaeological digs that go on currently where people will find old tax documents with names and the tax amounts and all that they were charged and everything. And it was found that Christians were the ones actually predominantly more than any other group of people that were paying the proper amount of taxes and being honest in their dealings. Those, that was the fact. But facts don't matter when there are people who worship another. Truth becomes this ambiguous thing that you decide for yourself. I hope you see that clearly. The fact was that before Judas Iscariot himself was the very person, the very Son of God himself, the very one, the only one, who could do anything about the sin of Judas himself. That was the fact. That is what we know absolutely to be true. But it didn't matter for Judas in his false religiosity. His worship was to that of another. We see that the facts don't matter when it comes to even the examples that we've seen recently of Artur Pulowski, the pastor in Canada who I've mentioned numerous times before, how he was seen as this dangerous, wicked evildoer for not shutting his church down during COVID. And don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't negate the reality of that sickness, don't negate that at all, but he was seen as this, as this blight to society because he wouldn't shut his, down his church during COVID and he was seen as just this worthless throwaway person. When the reality, the true fact is that he was feeding all the homeless people, there were a whole bunch of people that started going hungry the moment that he, they put him in jail because him and his church were feeding all the homeless people of that city. That was the fact. That's what we know to absolutely be true, but it didn't matter to people who were worshiping another. So I hope we've seen how these things play about, come about this persecution originating from people who worship another. And how the truth really doesn't matter to that group of people. So that gives us the answer of, to the first question we asked of how, how does persecution originate? How does it come about? And then the second question then becomes the apex question of why is it that people go through that? Why is it that Peter and John were willing to go through whatever and we're going to continue preaching Christ. How did that happen for them? What about the, 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 why is it that the believers in China in the video that we saw that they were going to stand strong even if it meant that there was this real looming threat of going to prison for three years to be able to attend a weekend training conference in this tiny little apartment? How, how does that happen? How does that come about for people? How does it come about that there can be this teenager that there's this cross laid on the ground and all these crazy people that worship false gods that are ready to murder anyone who doesn't defile the cross in the way that they say to and, and, and a young teenage girl can kneel down and know that she's going to lose her earthly life based on what it is that she's doing, but she does it anyway. How, does the, how do those things come about? Look, if you would, to verse 18 as we see the answer. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak 
the things which we have seen and heard. Everyone say seen and heard with me. Ready, set, go. Seen and heard. So we know that something powerful happened inside of the things that Peter and John had seen and heard. And we have the Gospels, don't we? We know some of the things that they saw and heard. We know particularly Peter, James, and John, there were three things that only they saw that Jesus brought them to see. Perhaps Peter and John in that moment as is, is they're being threatened by these people, these pseudo-religious people who don't care about the facts and what's true that are sitting there who do have real legitimate power and they're telling them, threatening them, don't preach in this man named Jesus again. Don't preach that name. And I just wonder what they were thinking about when Peter says, we can't help but tell about the things that we've seen and heard. I wonder if they were thinking about when there was that man named Jairus who came running to Jesus saying that his daughter was sick. And as Jesus is going, we know the story, that was the time when Jesus is on his way to see this girl. And there was the woman with the issue of blood and Jesus heals her on the way to this guy's daughter. And, and right after that happened, there was somebody, a servant from the house of Jairus that says, don't even bother the teacher anymore, the girl is dead. But Jesus says, no, she's, she's going to live again. And Peter and John are there. And, and they walk into the house, Peter, John, and James. And, and they see the girl with her body being dead. And, and, and Peter and John saw their master, saw their savior, saw Jesus Christ, the son of God himself. They saw him look at that lifeless body and say, little girl, arise. And she sits up. Those were some of the things that Peter and John saw. They saw the transfiguration where Jesus took them up on that mountain and they saw Jesus like a, taking a glove off of a hand. They saw him take off his humanity for just a brief moment where his face was shining like the sun and his clothes were glistening white. Where they saw Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses. They saw things that could, were, could not even be conceived in the human mind, but were of no power, of no stretch of Jesus' power whatsoever to be able to be transfigured like that before them. They saw that. They experienced it. They saw and heard those things. Peter and John were there when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they see Jesus, their loving, wonderful Savior and Master, as He's coming to the full grip and weight of what Jesus Himself was about ready to go through. And He is in such anguish. His emotions, His body is in such anguish that the Bible says He begins to sweat blood. They saw that. They saw that even just... They started to see the full weight of their sin be placed on that man. They saw the full weight as they saw Jesus hanging, bleeding, dying on the cross. As they saw the full weight of their sin being atoned for. And they saw that man whom they loved, whose name is Jesus, they saw him die. They saw him take him off the cross. They saw him put him in the borrowed tomb of the man named Joseph of Arimathea. They saw those things. And then three days later, they saw him walk out of that grave. Those were some of the things that they had seen and that they had heard that so moved them. That allowed them to look straight in the face of persecution and say, do what you're going to do. We can't help 
We can't help but preach and teach about this man named Jesus to tell about the things that we have seen and heard. And boy, I just wonder if we've I wonder if we've seen and heard Jesus like that. I know I've shared with many of you, a number of you, as just I've talked to you, and I don't think I've ever shared this from the pulpit before, but there was a book I read in seminary called The Great Evangelical Recession. It was required reading for seminary, and when I read it, my first thought was, this book is the most foolish thing I've ever read in my life. And the reason I thought it was the most foolish thing I've ever read in my life was because the thesis of the book, the main idea of the book, was that the true church... The actual number of people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, like the actual people that are children of God today, are like way, way, way smaller than anything you could possibly imagine. And it was written particularly looking at numbers in America saying that the church is like 2% of what you think it is. That you take any average group of a denomination or even an individual congregation and maybe, maybe Possibly 2% of them are actually true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I thought, when I first read that book, I thought, man, this is just bogus. There's, there's no way in America where we've got things like a thing called a Bible belt. There's no way that it's actually that small, actually that few. But can I just tell you, dear brothers and sisters, this morning, as I have, as we've progressed through time, as we experience things like 2020 and 2021 and all that happened there and as I see God's word, as, I, as, I, as we see this persecution going out before our very eyes, as we see some of these things, you know, I'm thinking to myself, that book was probably dead on. And it just makes me wonder how many of us have seen and heard Jesus in the same way that they have that would so change us, so move us, to make us so strong in that kind of persecution. We've got a lot of examples of people in China that are experiencing those things. And I just wonder what those stories will be like for America. Our third point this morning as we get ready to close before too terribly long. True conversion stands strong in persecution. True conversion stands strong in persecution. We've seen this, haven't we? In the case of Peter and John, they stood strong in it because of their true conversion. And the Chinese Boxer Rebellion, there were some young people in that missions compound who couldn't help but tell about the things that they had seen and heard. It had changed them. Their true conversion made them stand so strong in that persecution as we've seen in all of these other things. So of all the things that we could be convinced of, New Covenant Community Church, let us be convinced and thoroughly convinced of the redeeming work of Jesus, the empowerment of His Holy Spirit, and His perfect, authoritative, sufficient Word. Somebody say amen. We must be convinced and so strongly convinced of these things. I heard a story just this past week of a guy who was part of a church that I know of near Cincinnati, and he was the head of security there. He ended up taking a job in Washington, D.C. as another security officer, actually. And, and he goes to another church to try and find a church home. And he had texted his pastor back home saying, you're not going to believe what just happened to me in this new church. As I'm getting my feet wet and getting to know people. And he said, I, I wanted to start a men's ministry. So I talked to the leadership of the church to try and start a men's ministry. And the reason they said I couldn't start a men's ministry is because the word men is offensive to too many people and they wanted to make it 
softer. You can't have a men's ministry. That is offensive to people who are transsexual. This is in a church, y'all. This is, this is in America. This is what we experience of churches saying these kinds of crazy, outlandish things. And this is the way of absolute many. There are so many that are going that way, but we've already decided at New Covenant Community Church that we are not going that way, church. We're not going that way. Because I hope, I hope in the core of my being, I hope that there are some of us that have, that have tasted and seen that God is good. I hope there's some of us that have really, just like Peter and just like John, that we can't help but preach and we, we can, we've, We've seen our sin that has been washed. We've seen how the Savior on the cross that should have been us. He's moved us. He's changed us. He has been way too good to spit in His face. He's been way too good to wash us of our sins. He's been way too good to hear our prayers and to be the loving shepherd that faithfully guides us. And then we're going to say the thing that he said which was good, which was men and women, male and female, and then tell God that that's not good? We can't. He's been too good. So I hope you've seen clearly that this persecution, persecution it originates from the pseudo-religious. And we will see this play out before our very eyes as we have seen all throughout Scripture. Truth does not matter to those people. The facts don't matter. I hope you've seen that also. And I also hope you've seen that true conversion stands strong in persecution. Go to verse 21 as we finish. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So you might be asking yourself, and I certainly hope that you may be asking yourself, you may think, Pastor Ben, I, I, I don't really know if I, I don't know if I would stand up to persecution like that. Like if that's a question mark for you, if you're not sure if you would stand truly strong in the face of things like that. I think the Word of God has been very clear to us this morning in showing us that the reason they did were because of the things that they had seen and heard, because they had experienced the love of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. They had been transformed and redeemed. So if you are asking yourself this morning and thinking to yourself, man, I'm not sure if I would stand strong in that kind of persecution. It's probably because you have not been converted. You've not been changed in the way that these men were. And if that's the case, if you're asking yourself that question, man, praise God that God is drawing you in this kind of way because the promise of God's Word that we have seen even just in the book of Acts, you could exclude the rest of Scripture and just see the book of Acts, but we know it to be true throughout the entirety of Scripture that the promise of God's Word is that when you repent, When you change your mind about your sin and you say, I don't want to live in this sin anymore. When you repent, which is a word people are very scared of. But boy, what a great word. What a word full of mercy that God says, repent and be converted. Repent and believe the gospel. 
turn around, change your mind. The promise of God's word is that he'll change you. He will save you. He will convert you from this old sinful stone heart that you have into a new heart of flesh. It's the promise of God's word. He'll wash you of your sin. He'll make you completely new. And your eternal home, dear friend, will then be heaven. If that's good news, put your hands together because God is worthy. He is awesome. And I love that he says, he calls to humanity and says, repent. So would you stand with me as we all bow our heads as we come to the music? I wonder if there's anybody that needs to repent. I wonder if there's anybody that needs, that needs to change their mind, that needs to go a different direction with their life. If you need to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I need you to change me. I need you to forgive me. I, if there's been this question in your heart, and for all of us, the numerous people that are joining us online right now, if there's any of you joining us online or someone that you know of that you think, man, they, they probably aren't really sure about how they would stand in this kind of persecution, what a great indicator. What a great indicator to, to get you to think that perhaps God is drawing you to think, man, have you experienced and have you have you seen him and heard him in the way that John and, did, and Peter did? What a merciful thing. What a merciful thing that God could draw you into consider to wonder if you've... The book of Hebrews says, Therefore, brethren, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of this gospel. For indeed the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. And those who heard it. So I just wonder how many people have heard the gospel, but they've not had faith that then makes it profit them this, this true belief and reliance upon the Word of God, upon Christ, to be the one to take our sin. So let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, should there be anyone here that does not know you? that would not stand strong in persecution. God, draw them as I believe you already are by your grace. Reveal to their heart the truth that you are the only way by which we must be saved. Your name is the only name given among men by which we must be saved. So God, thank you for making the way. Thank you for taking my punishment. Thank you for standing in the gap. Thank you for being the perfect righteousness that I need. Thank you for that, Jesus. You are awesome and good. Father, make us strong. Thank you that you are not a God who is played games with us your word is so clear thank you for your Holy Spirit to guide us in these things Father give us a heart of burden for those that do not know you for the many many people that every single one of us know that would not stand strong in persecution because they have not seen, they have not heard the goodness of God, the power of God, the might, the mercy. Oh God, make us proclaimers of it. 
of your goodness and your grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' awesome, awesome name and all the church says. Let's sing and worship together.